want to, before we begin, a um, couple things. As uh, April said, I, I, Trevor was behind the scenes doing whatever he's doing with the, the tech stuff. But I just, you know, just appreciate so much. Uh, Trevor, who is playing drums, he's our, our tech manager. And um, his grandmother's uh, really ill down in Las Vegas, and he's going to be leaving this afternoon. And I would just want to be in prayer for him but as, I'm just so thankful for all of our team, and uh, we're so blessed. And I also want to lift up uh, one of my heroes, Frank Brock, is here. Uh, and Frank lost his wife uh, a year ago Monday, um, one of our first uh, losses to COVID. And I'm just so thankful that you're here, Frank, and you really are one of my heroes. And we love you so much, and we're so glad you're here. They were married um, almost 70 years, and um, I was telling Jeremy, who's in the back doing the, the um, online stuff, uh, their story, and you know, they were high school sweethearts, and um, Carol put Frank, at first he went to Wazoo, and then she, they moved to Seattle, and she put him through school at UW, and Jeremy back there said, man, if she put him through UW, she must really love him to put up with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've always had a fascination with Psalm 137. Um, when I was growing up, I, I, I heard the first part of Psalm 137 over and over and over. Uh, it, it, there was a beautiful song in the musical Godspell. And we had the soundtrack growing up. And I remember, you know, as a little kid, we'd, Mom and I would listen to it over and over and over. On the willows there, we hung up our lives. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful song. And, and, and I knew Psalm 137, that first part, so well. Now, Godspell came out in 1970. And uh, for some of you, you probably know it from another song that came out in 1970 as well. And that was uh, from the Melodians, uh, reggae group down in um, Jamaica. And they came out with the same song. It was called The Rivers of Babylon. And it was banned right away by the Jamaican government. The, before it even was released, it was banned. They said that it was, the song was subversive. They saw, said the song was inflammatory. And they called it a protest song. The band's producer, they, they argued that, you know, the, the lyrics came directly from the Bible. And they lifted the ban. And within a couple weeks, it was number one in, in Jamaica. And then pretty quick, it became an international hit. And... To this day, I mean, you can hear it on the radio. It's, it's a great song. But both versions left out that last phrase that Shanette just read. And the part that you're probably thinking about right now is the hard part. Happier those who would dash your little ones, or some translations will say babies, against the rock. What do you do with that? I mean, how can something like that make its way into the Bible, really? And what does that have to do with us today? Well, today we're starting a, a new series called The Long Way Home. And Long Way Home, and we're going to study the book of Ezra pretty much for the majority of this series over the next several weeks. But today I wanted to lay some groundwork for Ezra. And it begins in Psalm 137. It's most likely the last psalm written, Psalm 137, dates back to the Babylonian exile. 
And the exile is absolutely critical. If you want to understand the Bible, you have to understand the exile. In 586 B.C., Babylon conquered Jerusalem. It was devastating. Jerusalem was Zion. Jerusalem was basically where they believed God lived, in in the temple in Jerusalem. And, And they never, ever, ever imagined that the city would be conquered. Over and over, the prophets told them, you have to stop your ways. God is going to remove his safety net. If you don't turn back to God, something horrible will happen. But they never believed it. I mean, over and over and over, they've never believed it. They were God's chosen people. Jerusalem was God's chosen city. It wasn't going to happen. Whatever they did, God would take them back. God would forgive them. It was all going to be good. They could never go so far that God would not bail them out. But it happened. They went too far. God dropped his safety net. Jerusalem was conquered. city of Zion was just destroyed. And to make it worse, as Grimelda said, God's children, they were dispersed throughout the Babylonian Empire. Now, what does that mean? It was called a dispersion. Uh, they call the, the Jews of this time the diaspora. And the, this, this term comes from a, a farmer who would sow seeds, dispersing seeds. They were dispersed. Throughout the Babylonian Empire, they, they were just tossed out. And families were split up. Children were taken from their families and sent to different corners of the empire. And they were forced to take on Babylonian names and they were forced to take on Babylonian customs and they were forced to marry foreigners. They were forced to eat foreign food. And there was a strategy here. Uh, you know, when a nation like Babylon would conquer another nation, they, they, they would disperse the new subjects throughout their nation and, and they, they, they were trying to break up their nationality is what it meant. I mean, once you intermarry, within a generation, they found the conquered people would just assimilate. They would become part of this conquering nation, and they would be loyal subjects within a generation or two. Can you imagine? Never mind, I think of the movie Red Dawn, you know, and, and this conquering army, they just parachute all over throughout our nation. They cart us away. They divide our families. They force us to marry people who we've never even met before. They force us to eat food we've never eaten before. They tell us what to wear, everything. They, we have no idea where our family members are. Our friends, you can't communicate with them. Forced to be a part of a new family. Exile really started in 597 B.C., then about 596, five, uh, 586, excuse me, 587, somewhere around there. Most of the Jews were exiled. And it lasted until 538 B.C., so about 50 years. King Persian, uh, Persian King Cyrus declared all the Jews can go back to Jerusalem in, in 538. So basically for about 50 years, the Jews, they lived in exile. That's several generations. And once 
the exile was lifted. Some Jews, they just headed right back. I mean, straight the, the same day. They were out of there. They were going to go home. Some never, ever made it home. They never even tried. I mean, 50 years, they found life out in, you know, Babylonian Empire. They had new families, the whole deal. They weren't going to just uproot and start all over again. And we're going to see in a couple, over the next several weeks, there was a man named Ezra. And he led a group of Jews back to Jerusalem. But, but he led them back 58 years after the exile had been lifted. It's a really long term. Because they weren't ready to go back is the issue. They, it, was, it was traumatic. So the first four lines of Psalm 137 that we just read, they describe the trip away from Jerusalem as they're being carted off to Babylon in exile by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows we hung up our harps. For there, our captors, they asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked us for mirth, and they said, sing us your songs of Zion. But how can we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? Being carted off in chains, and they stop, and this is the first part of their journey, almost over. Like Grimelda says, it's not bad enough that he took them off as prisoners, but they, they, they had to taunt them, and that's what the captors and the tormentors, they, they're saying, sing us songs about how powerful your God is, how your God will never allow you to be conquered. Sing us those songs right now. Where's your God now? All they could do was just leave their harps behind them. They never wanted to sing of them. They couldn't sing. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Where was God? What did this mean? Can you imagine the depression? I mean, they're just completely feeling abandoned. Your, your hope is just gone. You'd just be questioning everything you ever believed. How did this happen? How, how could God let this happen? And then they spent 50 years wondering those things. But they also spent 50 years sharing how beautiful their city was. 50 years just reliving those memories over and over. Jerusalem, the city of David, Zion. We will go back, the temple, the palace, the, the beautiful city all around, the grapevines and the fig trees. And they told their kids about it. Their kids told their kids about it. The memory of the beauty of Zion kept them going for 50 years. That was their hope, right? One day it would just all magically disappear. And they'd be home. Like say that that day came fifty eight years later, and the first group left. Can you imagine their expectation? And when they made it to their city to Jerusalem, they found a city that was devastated by a war that happened fifty years back. It was rubble. 
temple was destroyed, the fields, the grapevines, they'd been burned generations ago in war. It was just destroyed. So verses 5 and 6, it's a covenant, and it's a promise. We're going to rebuild the city If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I don't remember, if you don't set Jerusalem above my highest joy, this is not going to be the final word. We are going to rebuild this. But the issue is before they could rebuild, they had to deal with their emotions. For 50 years, the oxygen that kept them going was remembering and expectation and hope. That's what got them through the grief. And then they got there. Loss. But also anger and rage. The realization they had been in denial the whole trip. And it all came to a head as they walked through the rubble of this destroyed city. That's verses 7 through 9. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. The day of Jerusalem's fall. How they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, you devastator. Happy shall they be who pay you back for what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. This is rage. A desire for revenge. But in the midst of this, this is the key. They remembered who they were, and they remembered whose they were, and they remembered what they were about to do. They're going to rebuild Zion. They're going to rebuild the temple. God's house will stand again. But remembering Zion meant being faithful to God and being faithful to God's purposes. How could they seek bloody revenge on one hand and be faithful to God and God's purposes at the same time? Throughout their 50 years of exile, it had been so painful for them to remember Jerusalem, but it would have been more painful for them to forget Jerusalem to not remember. And so for 50 years, they kept the memories alive and they kept the hope alive. Even in the midst of the pain, they remembered. And even when they were faced with the devastation, as they returned 50 years later and they found rubble, they remembered who and whose they were. And so they prayed. Remember, O Lord, remember our suffering. They're asking God to join them in their work and in their suffering. 
And they're inviting God to share in their grief and to share in their loss and in their anger and in their outrage as well. And it all came back, all of it, down to the Edomites. You know, the Edomites, they were, they were a neighboring people. And they stood and they watched Jerusalem fall. But they didn't just stand by. They, they, they actually joined Babylon. Uh, the, the, the Edomites, they, they went out and they caught the Jews who were trying to escape the city as it was being destroyed. And then they sold them to Babylon. Fifty years later, they look at the rubble. This once great city and the anger at Edom, it's only eclipsed by the anger toward Babylon. They had held it all for years. They pushed it all down for years and it erupted as they looked upon the rubble of their city. That's eight through nine. Oh, daughter Babylon, you devastator. Happy shall they be who pay you back for what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who dash your little ones against the rock. That, 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 this should shock us. I hope it does. Throwing babies against rock. How could that make it into Scripture? I mean, it's no wonder Godspell and the reggae version left it out. I mean, it's calling for an unspeakable acts against children. We would never stoop that low today. We can't fathom. This is horrible. It's unthinkable. How, how could they call themselves God's chosen and even think of such a thing? We would never do that. Really. Because the logic of what's going on here is they did this to us and they deserve the same thing in return. They killed our children. They threw our babies against the rock. They made us watch. Babylon deserves the very same thing that they did to us. The punishment should fit the crime. So when the Jews returned home and they saw the devastation Babylon had caused 50 years later, it was too much. And the anger... This is how they felt. This was raw. This was real. And I'm not really sold we wouldn't feel the same thing if we were in their shoes as much as we tell ourselves we'd never get there. It's exactly what was done to them. They're saying the punishment should fit the crime. Isn't our penal system today, you know, based on seeking a punishment that fits the crime? But the Jews do something here, and we miss it. They took this whole thing and they gave it to God in prayer. That's what this psalm is. It's, it's prayer that expresses what they're feeling and it's brutal and it's honest. Is it better to go to God and offer Him your real feelings or act upon them? Or try to pretend they aren't there. And the anger's real. And the Jews knew if they were ever going to rebuild God's temple, and if they're ever going to be God's people, they had to deal with this. They, they never meant to rise up and revolt. I mean, the, the psalm is not a call to arms. 
they're doing something so much more dangerous. They're actually praying and they're giving their burden to God. And they're saying to God, this is what we long for and we want you to take it and we want you to deal with it. It's God's job to pursue justice is what they're saying. Their prayer is not to let the injustice that happened to them go unanswered. That's not their prayer. They're giving it to God with faith and with assurance that there's going to be a future vindication. There will be a future judgment. This psalm is shocking. But it has so much to teach us about prayer. And it has so much to teach us about ourselves. And it has so much to teach us about God and being God's people. Especially in extreme situations, right? You couldn't get a more extreme situation than the Babylonian exile. And the worst possible response for them would be to do nothing. I mean, grief and rage, they're necessary when something has happened against your will. This is real. Otherwise, evil becomes acceptable, right? You're accepting evil if you, you know, and whatever is acceptable becomes normative pretty quick. So if you do nothing, you ignore it, you forget it, you pretend it didn't happen, that means you've let the evil win. So for victims, remembering is resisting, right? I mean, we get the, the act of, of, of remembering. It's a life preserver, and it means you're going to live again. The end of this psalm is absolutely necessary, but we need to be very clear. The Jews didn't retaliate. The Jews did not seek an eye for an eye. The Jews did not even try for revenge. And that's what we would want to do, or at least that's what I would want to do. I'll be honest. As much as they desired revenge, as much as they wanted revenge, they wanted to inflict exactly the, the same thing that happened to them. They wanted to inflict upon their oppressors. But they decided if they're going to really rebuild the city of God, they had to remember who and whose they were, and they had to act like it. They were God's chosen people. They had to act like it. And this is where the rubber hit the road. So they took their feelings to God in prayer. And they left their feelings with God in faith. They gave their burden to God. And I think because they were honest with God, the, the, this cycle of violence that could have continued, it, it stopped. I really want us to see Psalm 137 as an invitation to be passionate and to be honest in our prayer life. And it should be a model for the people of God. When we experience an extreme situation, we're called to offer ourselves, I mean completely offer ourselves to God. 
I mean, the anger and the grief that we try to hide all too often. So I think in our own way, we're coming home from an extreme situation right now. Last week, I quoted someone who said that 2020 was an apocalypse of pleasantries. I think especially for an immediate gratification nation who's used to comfort, used to getting our way, we're coming out of an extreme situation. I mean, it's not the Babylonian exile. We take ourselves far too seriously. We're not the diaspora. But that doesn't mean this wasn't an extreme situation. I know people who did really well last year. But so many people, they lost their jobs and they lost their income and they, others lost family, friends. I mean, the grief is real and the loss is absolutely real. Some of us are fine, most of us are not. And I think the, the emotional and the psychological impact is going to happen. Just go for years. We're going to be dealing with this. I mean, if you don't think last year was an extreme situation, I just got nothing for you, honestly. Last week in our staff, we, we had an exercise, and I asked the staff to think of one word that described their emotions a year ago, six months ago, three months ago, and now. And what would you say? I mean, you know, fear, loss, anxiety, confusion, anger. Those are all valid, but I think we're moving into hope. I hope so. I mean, COVID's not over, but we're, we're getting somewhere. We really are. And hope is in sight. And the end, the end is on the horizon. But I'll tell you, we've collected some baggage along the way. All of us. Baggage toward our national and state and local leadership, I'm sure. But, but I think we're harboring feelings closer to home, a lot of us. Just from pastoral care. And our own lives. I mean, you know, toward our friends toward our relatives and our neighbors and the people we work with and maybe people in church, you know. We're, we're on our way, but we need to deal with the baggage if we really want to get home. And that first step, we got to remember who and whose we are. And if God is really our Father, you know, I, I, we need to show some family resemblance in our actions, right? You look at children, you look at the parents, you know, there, there's always resemblance. What do people see when they see us? Because that's what God's children are doing here in Psalm 137. And see, the good news, the good news is God loved them just like God loved us. And God chose them just like God chooses us. God loves us regardless of what we do and don't do. But like the diaspora, when they're coming home, if we really want to make it home, we have to deal with our baggage and our feelings. 
All of us. And I think Psalm 137, it's a model to pursue forgiveness in extreme situations. And the exile was extreme. But God brought good out of the exile. I mean, the, the people, they learned God is everywhere. I mean, this sounds pretty basic for us, but they just thought God was Jerusalem, you know, and, and they found God in the exile. Imagine that. That wasn't all. I mean, Isaiah 49, 6, God said, after the exile, God said, Israel's mission now is to be a light to the nations. My salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. Comes up in the New Testament a little bit. See, they gave their desire for revenge, and they gave their, their anger to God, and they traded it for a call to join God to save the world. That's a good deal. Hate was literally replaced with hope, which is really the message of the cross, right? I mean, that's what last week was all about. We, we left the cross, and we found an empty tomb. And I just wonder where you are in your journey toward home right now. next couple weeks, we're going to study the book of Ezra, and we're going to see how much guidance we can find as we journey home. Uh, guidance for our relationships. Guidance for our desires. And, and for our transitions, because we're all in transition right now. I mean, we're all rebuilding right now. But it begins with this foundation we need to remember who we are. We need to remember whose we are. Where are you? Over this last year, what's your baggage? We can leave it. And trade it in for hope. Will you pray with me. Lord, I thank you for Easter, for an empty cross, for an empty tomb, for a resurrected life. Lord, we pray that you might take our baggage and bring forth hope. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Oh,